0: This week for Bible in the News, we turn back in time in light of a report on an exciting archaeological discovery in Israel that supports the historicity of the biblical record with clear evidence of a Semitic alphabet existing at the time of Moses. This discovery supports the synchronization of the biblical text with Egyptian history. A tiny pottery shard inscribed with ink unearthed at Lachish in Israel dates to 3,500 years ago, and is the oldest Semitic text from the southern Levant to use alphabetic writing rather than pictographic. Quoting, An alphabetic inscription written on a jar fragment found at the site of Tel Lachish in Israel, and dating back around 3,450 years, may provide a missing link in the history of the alphabet, a team of researchers said. Dating to the 15th century B.C., This inscription is currently the oldest securely dated alphabetic inscription from the Southern Levant, wrote the researchers led by Felix Hofmeyer, an archaeologist of the Austrian Archaeological Institute, in a paper published April 14th in the journal Antiquity. And there is a link to the um, article from the printed or from the online Bible in the News. The recently discovered inscription dating to around 1450 B.C. is being called a missing link because it fills a gap between early examples of alphabetic writing from Egypt and later examples found in the Levant, wrote Hofmeyer's team. The inscription also provides clues about how the alphabet may have been transmitted to the Levant, with the team suggesting that the Hyksos, a group from the Levant that ruled northern Egypt until around 1550 B.C., may have helped to bring the alphabet from Egypt to the Levant. The newly found alphabetic inscription is quite short. The first word in the inscription contains the letters Ain, Bet, and Dalit, while the second word contains the letters Nun, Pe, and Tav. All of these letters are part of the early Semitic alphabet used at one time on the Arabian Peninsula. They can also be found today in the Hebrew language, although the modern-day symbols look different. The inscription was uncovered by archaeologists in 2018 near an ancient fortification at Tel Lakesh. The researchers also found the remains of barley alongside the jar fragment holding the inscription and radiocarbon dating indicating that the barley was grown in around 1450 BC. That's quoting from livescience.com April 14th 2021 and again a link is there online. So the researchers have suggested that the reading for the first line may mean slave and could be part of a personal name. they suggested reading for line two, which in Hebrew um, would be honey or nectar. It suggested that this Semitic alphabet may have been brought from Egypt to the Levant, that is the eastern Mediterranean by the Hyksos. And based on Bible history, we can also consider that it was the Israelites, since they followed a similar path around the same time. Of interest to us, though, is that this is a 22-letter alphabet, perhaps an earlier form of Hebrew, that could have been used by Moses, and which was in existence at least as early as the 15th century, a time which harmonizes with the numbers in the biblical record. Douglas Petrovich, a professor of biblical history and exegesis and author of the words of the world's oldest alphabet, which he believes to be Hebrew, has stated, two views dominate the landscape for the dating of the Exodus. The early date view, 15th century BC, and the late date view, 13th century BC. The candidate for the late date view is Ramses II, from 1290 to 1223 BC, while the candidate for the early exodus view is Amenhotep II, from 1455 to 1418 BC. Many scholars now date the exodus to the 13th century BC, a step that requires a redefinition of concrete numbers in biblical passages that, if taken literally, would indisputably place the exodus in the 15th century BC. And that's quoting from Amenhotep II and the Historicity of the Exodus Pharaoh by Douglas Petrovich. Petrovich summarizes the argument for an early exodus date based on the biblical record in the same um, article, in the same uh, research paper. He says, the central text for this crucial historical event, 1 Kings 6 verse 1, connects the exodus to later Israelite history by noting that Solomon began constructing the temple in the 480th year after the exodus, signifying an elapsed time of 479 plus years. All but the minimalists agree that the counting of the 479 plus years should begin with May of 967 or 966 BC, depending on whether one accepts Young's or Teal's version of Solomon's regnal dates. Thus, the 479 plus years began either in 1446 or 1445 BC, either of which can be substantiated by the biblical text, says Petrovich. Nonetheless, um, with regard to this subject, it is important to note that we reject the whole notion of language coming about through gradual evolution, which is the the main secular view in the context of this worldview scholars reject the historicity of the Bible including the book of Genesis and Exodus containing the records of creation the flood and the Exodus of the Hebrews out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses they claim that these accounts are mythological while the research that Petrovich has done would
1: indicate otherwise So imagine this. Inscriptions have been sitting there for decades, not translated. Well, um, through my research, and in January of 2012, I stumbled into evidence for Israelites in Egypt and followed the archaeological trail. In my last presentation just completed a few moments ago, I demonstrated to them that we have archaeological and epigraphical evidence, epigraphical meaning ancient writings or inscriptions, to identify Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Manasseh's obscure son Shechem, all virtually beyond dispute, and all fitting together perfectly with biblical chronology, tying the Israelites back to a 19th century B.C. movement uh uh leaving of, of canaan and arrival in egypt at the site of avaris
0: so it is interesting research that petrovich has been doing in which um reinforces the biblical truth versus the mythology that uh, the critics would suggest that it is but we believe that the bible teaches that man was created intelligent and literate from the beginning And so in Genesis 2, we're told that out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet or suitable for him. Verses 19 and 20. Adam and his offspring were not primitive cavemen, as we can see from the naming of the animals that God assigned to Adam. In fact, the first use of the Hebrew word for writing or for a book occurs early in the record in Genesis chapter 5 to inform us that the family of Adam in the context of the creation was recorded in a book. This is the book, the Hebrew word sephir, of the generations of Adam, in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. So this informs us that a written language was in existence from the beginning. If we accept that the Bible is the inspired word of God as it claims to be in Second Timothy three fourteen to seventeen, and as we believe it is, we must go further than Doctor Petrovich, and also accept that language was not invented through an evolutionary process, but was given by God at creation. This is in harmony with the account of Genesis chapter 11, where we are told that the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. That's in the the first verse. However, this was changed by God in Shinar or Babylon, where the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And it was from there that people were scattered in different language groups. When we come to the book of Exodus, we find that Yahweh, the God of Israel, commanded Moses to write down what he told him. We have an example of this following the battle between Joshua and Amalek. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Exodus 17 and verse 14. So in addition to Moses writing down what God told him, Moses was also able to read and understand the Ten Commandments that God wrote down for Israel. And God gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God, Exodus 31 and verse 18. And it's also there as well um, in chapter 34, verse 1, when he gives him the replacement tablets. And so obviously, this means that Moses and God both spoke the same language and understood the same alphabet. And literacy was not limited to the leaders of Israel, but was common since Israelite parents were to not only teach the words of Yahweh to their children, but also to write them on their door and gate posts. We read of this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And jumping down, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walk by the way, when thou lie down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So obviously, the Israelites would have needed to be able to um, read and write in order to do all those things, including inscribing the words on their posts. The preservation of what God had communicated to his people was not left to the chance of oral tradition which is another important point. It was carefully written down and stored inside the Ark of the Covenant. If you come to Deuteronomy chapter 31, and starting at verse 24, we read, It came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished. Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark, of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. And so there was the book with the words that God had given to Moses inscribed there in that book. And later Joshua wrote out his own copy, just as it had been commanded of the kings of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 17, no doubt using the original autograph preserved in the Ark and he read it to all the people. We read of this in Joshua chapter 8, verse 32 and 34. Joshua wrote there upon the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the Law, the blessings and cursings, according to all that is written in the Book of the Law. This pattern... Established in the early books of the Bible is seen to be characteristic of all of the Bible. Critics have argued that Moses could not have written down all of Deuteronomy since his death is recorded at the end of the book. Well, since it's the word of God given by inspiration and not Moses' own words, this is not really a problem. However, it is possible that this was added later by Joshua, also through inspiration of God. It is of note that this discovery that um, has been revealed this past week, as well as several other inscriptions and the announcement last month of the discovery of more ancient Dead Sea Scrolls has been made public at this time. Petrovich, who we referred to earlier, makes an excellent observation on this point in a lecture he gave in September last year after speaking about another 15th century B.C. inscription, Sinai 349. And this is what
1: he said. For some reason, I do not know why, God has hidden all of this for 3,450 plus years, folks. He's hidden all of it. Now, he's brought it to light. I think I understand a little bit about why he's doing it but I can only barely scratch the surface in what I know. What I do know is he has many great things to do as a result. Number one among all of them is this. God did what he did with the Pharaoh and with his army and with Egypt and, and with their gods and the devastation and the plagues. He did it all to make his name known throughout the world. And if that is his stated goal, and it's stated that way in scripture, you can read it in my book, you can read it in the biblical text, then is that not part of the reason why he's doing this today to bring it all back? For God to make his name great on the earth that all people would know he has done what he said he did. This book demonstrates to the the Jewish people that the stories they read about about their history that are most important to them, more important than any of their other stories, those stories are all true. The world is telling them. The university professors are telling them. The the scholars, the biblical scholars are telling them. It's all fantasy. These inscriptions tell us it happened. God did what he did, and he did it to make his name great.
0: Indeed, the time is quickly coming when God will send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, back to the earth, and his name will be great throughout all the earth, and there will again be one language. The prophet Zephaniah says, For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Chapter 3 and verse 9. We pray that day will soon come. In the meantime, we continue to watch for the Bible in the news. This has been Daniel Billington with you this week. Come back next week for another edition, and perhaps at some point we'll finally know what's going to happen with the Israeli elections.